0: Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth is stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled Mr. Lefebvre Sucks, follows along as I start a new teaching job in a grade school in the South Bronx. While I share some very funny moments with my class, over a five-year period. I also learned a good deal about growing up in poverty in an area forgotten by the city and its services, and the amazing resilience of my 12-year-old students. (music) Mr. Lefebvre sucks. Having been drafted to serve in Vietnam I found a way to secure a draft-deferred teaching position in New York City. This seems like a much more positive way to serve my country than going to war on the other side of the world against a people who I don't consider to be my enemy. However, I have really no idea what I'm getting myself into. I now teach sixth grade at a public school in the South Bronx and my classroom is on the fifth floor. I always know what kind of day I'm going to have with the class by how I climb that fifth flight of stairs each morning. If I'm dragging my ass, the kids will probably eat me alive. This morning, with a spring in my step, I'm confident that we're going to have a productive and fun day together. As a teacher, I pride myself on two things. First, I never let the kids see me sweat. I'm Mr. Cool, unflappable in all situations, and I never lose it. My school is full of teachers screaming at their students, but not me, cool, calm, and collected. Secondly, when my kids ask questions about why they have to do something, unlike most teachers, I never answer, because I told you so, that's why. I try to patiently answer all their questions, no matter how foolish or insubordinate they may seem. I get to my class and find all the kids have been let in by the teaching assistant, who, as usual, has disappeared somewhere. They all seem antsy and expectant. When I turn toward the blackboard, the reason why is abundantly clear. There on the blackboard, in chalk letters, in 12-inch-tall, all caps, is written, Mr. Lefebvre sucks pussy, and pussy is spelled P-U-Z-Z-I-E. Remaining true to my teaching principles, I don't seem to be the least bit upset, but instead simply erase the word pussy and then spell it correctly in 12-inch caps. As I turn toward the class, I'm feeling pretty good about my level of emotional control, and I suggest to the class that maybe we should start the day with a spelling lesson. They all seem disappointed with my lack of reaction, but they're soon in for a treat. At that moment, the principal of the school enters the room and walks toward me. I'm standing in front of my desk, and I freeze. The class, however, is now all smiles as they watch to see how the situation will unfold. After all... How could I possibly explain Mr. Lefebvre sucks pussy writ large on the front board? After a momentary lapse, I spring into action, putting my hand on the principal's shoulder, turning him away from the blackboard, which he hasn't seen yet, and toward my very amused class. Next, I lead him down the aisle. He's very impressed at how happy they all seem. I then accompany him out of the back door of the classroom and into the hallway. We chat about why he's come by, and then he heads down the stairs. I re-enter the classroom by the front door, feeling triumphant. As I carefully erase the blackboard, applause breaks out in the room, and I take a bow. I'm also proud that no one decided to catch the principal's eye and point to the blackboard. This turned what could have been a career disaster into a bonding experience with my class. The only one not smiling or clapping is a student named Mark Brown so I suspect that he's the ringleader. Mark didn't start out as a member of my class, but because over the first two years of teaching, I established myself as someone who could maintain order, Mrs. Brown, Mark's mother and the head of the PTA, enters my classroom one day after class and says, Mr. Lefebvre, I want Mark to be in your class. My immediate response is, sorry, Mrs. Brown, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you've enabled Mark's misbehavior Since I've been here, all the teachers are afraid of you and what might happen if they decide to discipline Mark. She continues, Well, I appreciate your honesty, and I admit that I've made some mistakes with Mark. I know, though, he would really thrive in your class. So what would it take for you to accept him? I think about this for a while and then respond. How about one of those new personal computers for the classroom and a school bus at our disposal one day every week for the rest of the year. She agrees, and I get everything I've asked for. It turns out that the principal is just as afraid of Mrs. Brown as the other teachers are. I think back to the start of my job after getting my deferment from the New York City draft board. As I walked to my school that first morning, I witnessed some things that have stayed with me ever since. A heavy-set middle-aged woman wearing a tattered bathrobe and bandana, emerged from a dark, doorless front entry to a burned-out building, carrying a kitchen pot to fetch water from an open fire hydrant that poured a thick stream into the street. There were whole sections of the Bronx where hydrants like this were the only source of water, and the city could have cared less. In the next block, I looked across the street into the wasteland that was the local park, and amid several tall outcroppings of rocks, was a pack of a dozen skinny, mangy stray dogs. They were lying around, some asleep, while others scratched their fleas and sores. Once I had spent some time in the neighborhood, the reasons for what I first observed were obvious. An almost total lack of city services, rampant drug wars and gang violence, all taking place within the confines of the 48th Precinct, manned by a brutal and corrupt police force, more often than not, as the Knapp Commission proved, working in league with the drug dealers, pimps, and gangs. One day, some of these same police were racing around the park in their squad cars, indiscriminately shooting at wild dogs. The pack had killed a young boy, and the cops were having fun hunting them down, not worried in the least about collateral damage. I've since researched this event and can't find a single word about it online. The South Bronx was a foreign land then, ignored by the rest of the city, and apparently by the news media as well. Arriving at the school that first day of teaching, I am assigned to substitute teach a sixth grade class. When I enter room 510, things are pretty much totally out of control. I raise my voice and say, Quiet everyone, I'm Mr. Lefebvre and I'll be your substitute teacher for the day. Since most people can't correctly pronounce my name, I pronounce it again for the kids and then I spell it out on the blackboard. As I face the board and start to write, someone stands up and expertly overhands a softball that hits me hard in the back of the head. My forehead bounces off the board and for a moment I'm stunned and I wobble on my feet. The class erupts in laughter and taunts. When I pull myself together, I decide that instead of yelling, I'll sheepishly laugh at myself as well. After a few days of subbing, I'm permanently assigned to my own fifth grade class. My first order of business is to get the class under some sort of control. I develop a couple different techniques. One I call the rhythm game. It entails dividing the class in half and then tapping out a rhythm on my desk, and each half of the class taps out the same rhythm. Mostly, I announce a tie between the two sides. The game gets everyone paying attention, moving together, and hopefully working together. My most effective technique is another competition where again the class is divided into two teams, but with boys and girls on each team. They choose their own team names, the Red Devils, for example. Then every day, I keep a running score for both teams. The grand prize for the whole year before we leave for summer vacation, is that the winning team will get a week off of school. Kind of. What this really means is that I jigger the scores so both teams are always neck and neck, and then just before the promised week off, I get them to agree that since either side could win, we all take the school bus every day for a week. This is a good compromise because they all love getting out of the neighborhood. It takes the cooperation of the principal, who's glad to help, since I've taken Mark, Brown, and a number of other difficult kids into my class. Many of my students are from the Deep South, the Caribbean, or Puerto Rico. They are almost all very superstitious, which is something I try to discourage. One day, I set up a demonstration. Class, I'm going to do a demonstration to disprove many of your superstitious beliefs. I then walk under a ladder while also carrying an open umbrella. I throw salt over my shoulder. I smash a mirror and then drop a knife as well. Next, I walk back under the ladder, holding a broom upside down. By now, everyone is shaking their heads from side to side, moaning with fear of what's going to happen to me. Ooh, ooh, you're going to be in so much trouble, so much bad luck. To which I respond, class, nothing is going to happen to me. I'm going to be fine. These are just old-fashioned beliefs that mean nothing. They're all still shaking their heads, almost as if they're in pain over my future. For a month, nothing happens. Then one day, I drop something on the floor, bend over quickly to pick it up, and audibly split the back seam of my pants. Everyone jumps to their feet, pointing and loudly reminding me that this is my bad luck punishment, and I've completely brought it on myself. My entire demonstration serves only to solidify all the worst of their superstitions. So I guess in the end, my demonstration did bring on some very real bad luck. As the war in Southeast Asia is winding down, I continue my teaching job. While talking with a teacher from the junior high school that my kids graduate to, I learned that at their school, the kids from my class are considered to be troublemakers. This is no doubt because I try to teach them to think and ask a lot of questions. So while helping my students develop intellectually, I'm also failing by putting them at a disadvantage in junior high. At this demoralizing moment, I decide to quit teaching. To this day though, I still miss it. Teaching sixth grade in the South Bronx was by far my favorite job. Fast forward to 20 years after our infamous spelling lesson. I have an exhibition of my photography at a high-end gallery in the Chelsea Art District. There's the usual crowd, well-dressed, well-heeled collectors, an assortment of hipsters, curators, writers, and artists. There's one guy, though, who stands out. He's in his early 30s, a tall, stocky black man, sporting cornrows with his pants hanging low. I have no idea who he is as he walks over with a bit of a swagger and then leans in and whispers, these fucking photos suck. At that, I take a step backwards in shock, And he pokes me in the chest and says, gotcha, Mr. Lefebvre. I respond, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't tell me your name. Mark, Mark Brown. I pause and then say, still just as big of a pain in the ass as you were when you were 11. We both laugh and exchange high fives. Then he tells me he saw something about my exhibition online and came all the way from Jersey by train just to say hi in his own inimitable way. The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen, and it would be great if you could leave a review. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more info at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, And if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story.